everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have an extremely special guest on with us tonight. We have the wonderful Nigel Kennett, who is also known as the Canadian Tithing Whistleblower. How are you tonight, Nigel? Doing well, although I'm not quite sure if I'm deserving of such accolades. <laughs> <laughs> we feel that you, you are. So. You yes. are a folk hero to us. That's exactly right. And we are going to get into those details as we go uh, dig deeper into this episode. So why don't we start out, Landon, by you just giving us a brief bio of Nigel, and then we'll start our conversation. Sure. Yeah. Um, Nigel sent this over, so uh, I'll just uh, go ahead and read that. Uh, he was Nigel was born and raised in the church. He served a mission in Ogden, Utah, which is just up the street uh, from me here. Uh, which he says is now three or four different missions, uh, which is probably true. Uh, he met and married his beautiful wife shortly after coming home from his mission. And currently uh, they have four kids uh, ranging in age from 13 uh, down to seven. Uh, he's a designated accountant and has worked in government and public practice and now has a small boutique firm working with individuals and subject matter experts. So a boutique accounting firm, that sounds... Uh, pretty fancy <laughs> <laughs> just makes small sound a little better than it actually is so. there, there you go yeah i like it niche niche accounting niche. that's exactly <laughs> it so well we have wanted to have nigel on for quite a while and i've actually had the pleasure of uh interviewing nigel on mormon book reviews with stephen pineker a while ago um, to give you guys a little bit of background and then we'll dive in and let nigel talk for himself if you remember um, a year or so ago, uh, there was a lot of talk in the news about Canada and LDS tithing. There was a program called the Fifth Estate, which is basically the 60 minutes of Canada, as Nigel has described it to us, um, that had Nigel on talking about, just this is why I say whistleblower, some things that he'd found in the practices um, as far as the church goes and collecting tithes and where the money went. And I have to start out by saying it's such an interesting way that I even connected with Nigel, because of course, we were following this story. Remember, Landon, we were talking about yep. it. Look how interesting this is. Came out about the same time as Australia. And late one night, I was on um, a post-Mormon Reddit thread, and I saw some post that said, I'm so proud of my husband for what he did in the Canadian situation. So of course, I pounced on it right away, right? And I messaged the person personally and I said, are you connected to somebody involved in this? And I believe it was your wife that I had connected with. And I said, I would love to talk to anybody involved. We're very interested to get more details. And the next day, Nigel reached out and we connected and it was very exciting to be able to hear things behind the scenes and kind of how the story unfolded because it's absolutely fascinating. And it's an ongoing worldwide saga. That's hard to say. An ongoing worldwide saga. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Landon? I mean, we started with Australia, Canada. Now we're moving into everything with the SEC. Well, I mean, it just seems like there can't be a month without something going on with LDS church finance. Yeah, I think I think David Nilsson was probably the first whistleblower, but Nigel's mm -hmm. really the first one that uh, we saw uh, on one of these uh, major news uh, magazines. So in one sense, yeah. I kind of guess I think of him as the original one because uh, I knew there was a whistleblower, but I had no idea who he was. But uh, we <laughs> actually got to see Nigel in that fifth estate. And and then the Australia one came out like, what, a week later. It was very yeah. close to the hills it and it looked boom, like boom, they boom. worked together uh, on on yeah. uh, the two stories. And so 
yeah, it was uh, it was very exciting uh, to, and I was kind of I was kind of jealous because uh, Rebecca got to talk to Nigel a lot, and she'd always come back and say, I have to talk to Nigel about this or that. And I go, Yeah, she's getting all the all the good stuff. I was name dropping. That's right. Nigel told me this. That's right. Okay, enough of Landon and myself oh, speaking. Though we, I know, geez, I was like, you're our hero. No, why don't we just talk to you a little bit? Why don't you, we, we heard your bio, but why don't you fill that in just a little bit? Just kind of tell us um, how you were raised and in the church and family-wise, and then just kind of walk us into how all this started to unfold and how you became the celebrity that you are. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure if I'm a, I'm a celebrity. I still make just as much money as everybody else, maybe a little bit less, <laughs> but uh, I don't get free Subway anymore, which was a perk of serving my mission in Utah. It was a real weird situation when I came home for the first time and had to pay for lunch. It was a, that was an odd feeling. Yeah, Were you excited like when you got called to Ogden or was that uh, like, a, oh my gosh? <laughs> I was ticked. Like I looked at my mission call and I was trying to figure out, I was like, why does it say Ogden? Like the MTC is in Provo. Why, why do we keep reading Ogden? And then they had to reread it. And I was like, this is nonsense. And I remember my brother just laughed at me. <laughs> He's like, hey, you're going to Utah. But uh, the funny part about all of that is that I'd gone down to, to Utah with my, with some of my family members uh, for general conference. My mission papers were in and everything. And I remember having a dream where I got my mission call and I was called to Utah. I remember waking up in a cold sweat thinking, man, this is just awful. This is like the worst thing that could ever happen. <laughs> and I opened up the mission call and yeah, my, my heart dropped. <laughs> it was not a good feeling. <laughs> but like any other faithful individual, I signed the bottom and said, yeah, I'll go do what you want yeah. me to do here in Utah. Well, you were um, probably prior... treated like a celebrity though in Utah. Uh... Oh, yeah, missionaries are treated really, really well in Utah. Um, and I had a fantastic time on my mission. It was honestly some of the, got some very fond memories and have built some really good friendships that still last to this day. Like I was just reaching out to a former companion just a little while ago, even just chatting and, and reconnecting. So it is interesting how those two years really are, are formative. Um, I learned a lot of good skills and traits and characteristics. I got really good at public speaking. Um, I remember one, there was one Sunday where I gave like three talks, actually in, uh, in the span of about three weeks, I think I gave 10, ten talks just because missionaries are like very, very rare. Like when was the last time you saw the missionaries in, in your ward, right? Well, all things considered. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. That is ironic that in Utah, you rarely see them. They're just not really there. So that is yeah, so interesting. Like, I, like most missionaries, when they go to another region, they'll cover a ward. There might be several missionaries that cover a ward. Um, we covered stakes. And so we, like, I remember serving up at, uh, like, up in Logan, I covered the entire university campus up there. And so we covered, like, two single stakes, a young married stake, and then a family stake. And it was great. So I had a, I had a ton of fun. So, yeah, I served my mission, and it was great. And then leading up to that, like I mentioned, or you mentioned in the bio, yeah, born and raised in the church. And so I've got two lovely parents, and they did a fantastic job of raising me. They were able to help teach me the difference between right and wrong, which I think is uh, a good foundation, which any parents would want to lay for their kids. And I think that's really what kind of helped me down my path for the last few years, actually, is being able to distinguish right and wrong. And so my parents, they raised me. I grew up in the church. I served as in all sorts of different callings. I served as like deacon's corn president, teacher's corn president, first assistant, and 
priest served as an elves quorum president even um and then yeah eventually like well i served a mission in there as well got married had kids kind of was following the roadmap of the church you know like graduate yeah. primary go through the ironic priesthood go to all these camps go on a mission get married have kids go to school right i've got to and ask so this I, question did you go to byu no all right no, no. That, that that probably becomes important <laughs> yeah later on in the story <laughs> yeah no i uh i decided i was never going to go to byu so, and i can't quite place my finger on the exact reason why um but yeah it actually occurred to me when i was on my mission i used to want to like live in utah and go to byu and do that and then yes there was a, a switch that happened when i was on my mission so or i just mm -hmm. kind of felt yeah like my route should be back in canada well, you were inspired. There you go. Because yeah. what happened in Canada <laughs> is extremely important. So it sounds to me like you were just, well, it's a new phrase on the covenant path. <laughs> just step by step by step going down the covenant path. Yeah, That's going to be one of those sayings, eh? Like just goes I down know. in Mormon history. I know. Like, yep. The, good, the better, minute best, they said or... that, yep, no, <laughs> the minute they said that, I'm like, oh, this is it. Here's the word. This is what we're going to hear forever and ever. Yeah. And now we found out the covenant path stretches back into the pre-mortal life. So you already were on it. You've already made all those decisions. Oh, so you okay. better live up to them. Yeah. yeah. So I guess everybody's deviated from it at some point. I guess like 99% of the world's population is yeah, deviated. Yeah, most have. Yeah. Uh, evidently. It's you've hard made... to stay on it. Yeah, you made the covenant before you even came to earth, and now you get baptized at eight. Now you can't undo it because you made a decision at eight years old. Yeah, it seems to be pretty much uh, now because you were baptized, you have no choice. You now must go on a mission because you've made a covenant with God, and they yeah. they kind of play it that way all the way through now. Is you already made the covenant? You don't you don't have uh, free agency anymore because you've already mm -hmm. got you've already made the covenant. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure at some point the change will, or the church will change its policy regarding this doctrine. So they always do. We'll yeah. see what happens. But what I see <laughs> is you're on the covenant path, but then, like you said, your parents taught you right from wrong, and that kind of superseded whatever this path was because you did deviate based on the experience you had. And I love this part of the story. Why don't you describe or just you know describe what your life was like leading into that, and then what happened? You know what, life was good. Um, I don't have any complaints. Like I was like any return missionary, like you get married and you start having kids right away. So you're almost guaranteed to be living in poverty. Um, I remember taking out thousands of dollars in student loans because the church said, go on a mission. So I saved up money and I paid for a good chunk of my mission. And then they say, okay, come home from a mission. So I came home from my mission. And then they say, get married young because wasn't it uh, President Hinckley said that uh, unmarried young men are like hooligans to society or yeah, yeah, Brigham Young said that. Society, yep. There was actually a youth fireside, a worldwide devotional on Sunday night where Oaks said the very same thing. Do not put off having children. Do not worry about money or education. Get married right away and have children right away. They're still saying it. Yeah. He was very emphatic about it. Yeah. yeah. And so I came home from my mission and I had every expectation of like being an EFY instructor because I went to four years of EFY and had a blast doing that. So me and my, my best friends, we were going to become EFY instructors and have fun doing that. But shortly after I came home, I uh, found the girl of my dreams. <laughs> and so I, it worked out really, really well. Um, and so we uh, we dated for six months, which I feel like is a, a stretch amongst members of the church. If you can make it six months without <laughs> popping the question, oof, 
people look at you like you're going to get her pregnant or something. That's right. Um, you were slow as molasses. Yeah. And so after six months, I popped the question. Actually, I popped the question a few times before that, but she kept saying no. So I was persistent, <laughs> um, tenacious. Uh, and so eventually she said, yes, I guess I wore her down. Which may not be the best way of putting it, um, yeah. but she said yes. And then we were married and I don't like from... I hadn't even been home a year yet. So I got married in the spring. And so I didn't even get a chance to be an EFY instructor. So yeah, it started like I was in school. Um, and yeah, and so then we uh, we met. My wife was in nursing school. And then while we were married, you know, things happened. And eventually she got pregnant. And then so she, at the time, she was um, doing a, a rotation up at the uh, the Stollery Children's Hospital up here. It's a... Uh, it's a renowned children's hospital in Alberta. And uh, she was doing her um, rotation there and she just couldn't do it being pregnant. And some of the things that she was seeing with the kids and, and how she was helping them, it, it was it was really, really stressful for her and causing her a lot of grief. And so she withdrew from the program and made a very conscious decision to, to stay home and, and raise our kids. And so we had Ben and then we had John and then we had Theo. And then I was like, I'm done. <laughs> My wife's like, no, we got to try one more. And I was like, I have a nice know. even number. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what she said. <clears throat> and uh, then we threw the Hail Mary and ended up with our, our little baby girl, Rosie. Um, oh. So we came through boys and a girl and she's cute as a button. Um, oh, we like her. Um, there's no return policy on kids. I guess we could drop <laughs> her off at a fire hall, but I don't think my <laughs> wife would be too thrilled with that either. Um, so we've got our four oh beautiful kids and my wife has sacrificed a lot to raise them. So it's, it's been a, it's been a ton of fun. And then somewhere down the road while I was working, um, as an accountant at a firm, we were doing an audit of a, of a charity and they were uh, a charity down in Calgary. And so one of the audit procedures is just to make sure that they're in good standing. And so in Canada, we've got the Canada revenue agency, and then they have what they call the, the charities directorate. And so you can just look up any charity and there they have the T3010s all published. The 3010 is a charity's tax return. And excuse me, not tax return because they don't pay taxes. It's just a charity return. So I want to clarify something here. So churches <laughs> have to file this. So it's the church has to be transparent in Canada. Is that fair to say they had to fill out the form? Um, yes and no. So the, the T3010 is a, is a requirement to file. But that doesn't necessarily paint a whole picture of the financial information, right? Because if you take a look at an audited set of financial statements, you're going to see the balance sheet, income statement, um, and whatnot. And then there's going to be pages and pages and pages of note disclosures that'll say what cash consists of, what amortization policies are, restricted contributions, things like that. And so the T3010, you basically just see the income statement and the balance sheet. Okay, so, so you know how much they brought in in charity, though. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, you can see how much the receipted donations are. So you don't know how much of that is considered tithing or fast offerings or anything else, but you can see that, yeah, um, in any given year, typically about $200 million of receipted donations are received by the church in Canada. And then you can see how much went out or, and can you see where it went? Cause obviously you, you found out where some of it went, but could you see pretty well where it went or is it just, this is how much went out? Yeah, so it does break it down. So there'll be like operating expenses and things like that. So there's occupancy costs, office expenses. It won't give a breakdown on um, capital asset acquisitions, like if they bought a chunk of land or if they build a new church or anything. 
you can do kind of like a, a quick cash flow analysis. Like you can take a look and see the last year they had $900 million in capital assets. And then this year they've got $950 million in capital assets. And then you can see like, oh, the church bought some stuff, right? You don't necessarily yeah. <laughs> know what it is. You're like, huh, there's been an increase here. And so you can see that there's been some stuff. Um, and that's other very like, different from here, from uh, from the U.S. We can't see anything which, <laughs> or very little, very little. Yeah, which kind of surprises me because I think one of the reasons why um, there's the requirement for transparency, at least with the, the disclosure, like the public disclosure of the 3010s, is because at the end of the day, it's in the public's interest to know why some of these entities and organizations are receiving are given that charitable status. Absolutely. Right. Not correct. Yeah, because perfectly stated. Yeah. At the end of the day, it like these charities um, are providing benefit to individuals at the expense of provincial and federal revenues. Um, right. Because if you in Canada, if you donate to a charity, anything over like in Alberta where I'm at, anything over two hundred dollars and you're basically given a fifty percent tax credit. Right. So it's uh it's pretty generous and so the public should definitely be aware they should be like okay why are these individuals getting tax breaks and why are these charities are able to offer these these um receipts for which individuals receive tax credits for i i, I agree with that 100 because yeah, uh, i've been seeing a lot of the the comments back from uh you know active members of the church trying to defend it and they all say well it's not your money. You have no say in it. And it's like, no, no, wait a minute. It, it's all yeah. of our money because if the church were paying taxes on that, if they were paying 30% like I am on my taxes, uh, we'd have a lot more money for our schools to operate. Uh, they'd be paying property taxes, which they're not because all of that is. So all that money is, the public is giving up that money for this organization to do a charitable to, yes. to do charitable giving or to do something valuable to society. And if they're not, then they shouldn't be getting that. And so we all should have a right to know what that is and understand what they're doing with that money because they're not paying taxes on it. Now, if they had to pay taxes on it, then you're right. It's their money, whatever they want to do with yeah. it. But as long as they're taking it out of our pockets, because we now have to fund the shortfall for them not exactly. paying the taxes. So I'm paying more because they got a tax break. So I yeah, think that's 100%. exactly accurate what you said, and it should be transparent. And I don't know why it's not in the US. I think I'm moving to Canada. So <laughs> <laughs> we all are. That's it. There you go. Okay. It's a great so country. Let's go be back. happy to have you. So. <laughs> let's go back in the story. So you're working in your accounting office and you're auditing or, or working on uh, different working charities. Yep. And so I did and? a quick search and found that the, the file I was working on, good standing, it was like, perfect. And then I was able to kind of scan, make sure that they were up to date with their filings. And then Curiosity got the the best of me. And so I did a, a quick search and I typed in the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints and pulled that information up and uh, took a look and saw, oh, wow, my church makes a lot of money. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, you have that that, that Mormon pride and you're like, yeah, yeah. my church oh, is yes oh man, we are doing so good. And then I take yep. a look at the expenses. I'm like, oh, wow, here we've got our operating expenses. And so here's remuneration. Here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. And then I took a look and then I saw that there was like $100 million that went to BYU. I was like, why did we send $100 million to BYU? That was like, okay. Because like, 
we can understand that for expenses, there's some things that are like there's cash transactions and then there's some non-cash transactions, right? So things like like the expenses that you incur on wages and salary, like that's a cash transaction. And then there's others like amortization or depreciation. That's a non-cash transaction. Don't get me wrong, you had a there was an outlay of cash to acquire the asset. Um, but then when we take a look at actual amortization, there's no cash involved with that. Like you just kind of debit the expense and credit the accumulated amortization account. Um, so when I took a look at the church's financial statements, I saw that, yeah, they had about $100 million in, in expenses, of which $30 million was amortization. So that's a non-cash transaction, right? So then actual cash expenses were like $70 million, but then we send a $100 million off to BYU. <laughs> the reason why this didn't sit well with me um, was because I was like, holy cow, like I've taken out tens of thousands of dollars of debt to go to school here. Why didn't the church like try to help me at all with my education here in Canada? And don't get me wrong, like like education in Canada is already heavily subsidized. Like for me at the time to go to, to school at, a, at an in-province university, was I think it was like five thousand bucks a year, so pretty good for me to go to BYU would have been about the same. Um, but after you factor in like the the foreign exchange and everything, it would have been more for me to go to BYU. And I was like, holy cow! Like the church is sending all this money down to BYU. I saved up money to go on a mission. I got married young. I took on kids. I did everything that the church told me to do, which kind of doomed me to a life of poverty. Um, and then the church was sending all this money down to BYU. Like, why didn't it help me at all? And so I was actually, I was mad. I was actually really mad. Were um, you initially mad? I mean, did it take you just a process of like 15 minutes to realize what was happening? Or was there a cognitive dissonance? I'm just trying to picture you sitting there at your computer, how quickly it unraveled. <laughs> uh, maybe about 30 seconds. I was like, holy oh, cow, holy okay. cow. It, like the, I don't know, I had this epiphany, I guess. I, I, one yeah. of my favorite TV shows is House. I don't know if you ever watched House, but where yeah. you'd see like yep. the elevator Every doors episode. close and be like, oh. yep. yeah, like I felt ah. like that was me. Where it's like, oh, the elevator store, the elevator doors closed. And I was like, holy cow. And yeah, so, so at first I was it. really, yeah, I was like, this does not seem right. And I sat on it and I sat on it and I sat on it. And eventually I reached out to my bishop. My bishop, fantastic man. Like I, I don't have, holy cow, like he is an incredible man. I don't, I can't think of a single thing I could say against him he was he was an excellent man um like a family man in his career um in the church like he was very devoted and he wasn't just um devoted to the church like he was devoted to the members he was one of those those rare gems where he actually oh. cares about you and so I, I raised my concern and i emailed the bishop and in good form he's like okay and i don't i don't know the answer to this but let me get back to you and the fact that he was willing to take the time to look into that really spoke highly of his of his character to me it was, like he didn't give me that whole like oh well you just need to have faith like oh yeah. the money's in the lord's hands or oh we need to have like put our trust in in the authorities no like he's like let me take a look at this for you and so he uh, reached out to one of his counselors um who was also an accountant and at a partner at a at a larger firm up here actually one of the the world's largest accounting firms and this individual looked into things and reported back to the bishop and then the bishop responded back to me and he said well you know what like the church i should rewind um because on the t3010s if you donate to a qualified donee you actually have to list the qualified donees um and so if you list like if you donated to the red cross then you'd say okay qualified donee red cross number of dollars 
Um, and then on like when I took a look, and if you take a look at the 3010s for like as long as, or as far back as you can go, there's only three qualified donees BYU Provo, BYU Idaho, and BYU Hawaii. Wow. Not they, they didn't donate to a single charity. charity. Not no. one charity, all the schools for as far back as you could look. Oh yeah. my goodness. And so I reached out and then the the member of the bishopric and the bishop they they got back to me They're like yeah you know what like there was a time when there was a campaign where i think they were fundraising for for wheelchairs I, I don't remember the exact cause like if it was for for vets or for um like uh, amputees or, or or refugees or anything like that but there was a, a wheelchair campaign that the church in canada had embarked on i wasn't given any specific dates or specific number of how much was actually contributed but uh you know what, like at the time that was enough and it placated me and I was like, okay, you know what, like they helped for this one thing. You, ten, and then, ten, a hundred million dollars for wheelchairs. You were thinking that might be what it was. Well, I was thinking that that could go towards I a know. lot of other things. But, no, and, yeah, and you're and looking so, for a reason. You're looking for a reason that it's okay. You know, this yeah. story reminds me of Landon in the book of Abraham, you know, 30 seconds, he saw it. But then you have to make sure and you check and you talk to leaders and you find workarounds and you do until it doesn't work anymore. And that's kind of what happened to you, I think. Yeah, there's definitely some mental gymnastics that were involved. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I was at the time, I was reasonably happy um, with the information that I was provided with. Like, I was like, you know what, like, this makes sense. Um, and then they talked about fast offerings and things like that. Um, which we can talk about in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, like the information, like it was enough. And then what happened was, as I said, I was, I had a lot of, I had a lot of debt. And there was one time where I took a look at my, my credit card debt and it matched my tithing contributions. And it's not like my, my credit card debt was like us going to Mexico or like me buying no. a brand new plasma screen TV, which was Just all life. the rage back Just in living. the day, right? Yeah, it was living like diapers and groceries. Yeah, <laughs> yep, expensive. Yep, diapers alone diapers was alone dollars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, nothing extravagant, just living. Yeah, and so I took a look and I made a very conscious decision because I remember church leaders saying like, do everything you can to get out of debt. And I was taking a look at the debt that I had and I was like, I'm going to start tackling my debt. I made a very conscious decision to start allocating my tithing contributions um, to hammering off debt. And within a year, I had paid off my credit card. I cashed out. I also did some other things, like I cashed in my kids' RESP, so like um, through like uh, registered education, right? So like in Canada, you can contribute to these RSPs, and so I contributed. Like I withdrew my kids' RSPs because I was I had been contributing to them, so I could tackle and bang off all this debt, and I did a really good job. So you then, stopped paying your tithing at that point. Yeah, you completely stopped and you put it toward just family expenses and all of that. And you stopped because kind of of what you found. You, you have a different no, mindset actually, now. Or you time. didn't. Oh, not at no, that point. No, not even you yet. Still, no. Wow, so that's very interesting. That's very alternative of you. Mm -hmm. Most people would yeah. not think to do that, although it's so logical. Maybe being an accountant helped you say, look, no, I got to put this here. <laughs> yeah, debits and credits, okay. right? Okay. Um, but yeah, so I made a conscious decision not to, and it was because the church says to get out of debt. Yeah. So this is an Adam and Eve scenario, you know, uh, ah. take the apple or don't take it, but you're right. Yeah. You know, you've got two, two contrary commandments, get out of debt 
Pay your time. And keep paying me your money. So did you just <laughs> um, temple recommend wise? Did you just say, okay, for a couple of years, I'm not going to go? Or did you do it in a time frame where you still had a, a valid one and you didn't have to go? Or did you not even worry yeah. about that? So what happened then is actually um, that lovely tithing settlement that kind of nipped me in the bud. It got me. And so I remember, gotcha. so we had a, a change in bishopric. And so um, there was a new bishop that was in charge. Um, so he was sitting down and then like, he's like, he asked my wife, are you a full-time payer? And she responded with the affirmative. And then he looked at me and I said, you know what? Like, I'm a little bit behind because I've been hammering off all this debt. Um, and then he's like, well, I don't know if that's right. And then what he was said, he's like, the church has never said it not pay tithing. The, or how, how did he put it? He said that the church has never told people to not pay tithing in order to pay off debt. He's like, I've never heard the church say that. And he like kind of told me off for it. And I was like, wait a second. But the church says all these other things. And in my head, I'm like, well, you know what? The church doesn't talk about killing people either. But you know what? There's a story in the Book of Mormon where there was an inebriated individual that was beheaded. So you know what? Sometimes there's these there extenuating circumstances. Yep. Um, this was Nigel's inside voice, not his outside voice. So he, <laughs> wow. Look what the bishop said. And then I was like, whatever, fine. I'm not a full tithe pair for this year. So you can check the box in the negative and then went on my way. And then I was like, well, maybe someday I'll, I'll pay it back or catch up or whatever. Right. Um, and then later he brought me into his office six months later. And then he's like, okay, uh, brother Kenneth, all that tithing that, uh, that you took a break from, I want you to back pay all that unpaid tithing. And I was gobsmacked. I was like, really? I just told you that I stopped paying tithing to pay off debt. Yeah. And then right. you are now telling me that I am in debt to the church financially. Like, we understand that the church is all like, well, you know what? Like, we are, we owe the, the Lord everything we have because we have our bodies. And so we're always going to be indebted to the church. And so there's always been kind of that, that moral play. But this was like financial. He financially put me in debt. I remember like at the time there was a, there was like a award potluck after church or whatever. And we'd brought a salad and I just walked out of his office. I was like, nope. And I just walked out and I packed up and I was fuming. Like I was furious. And so I went into the gym and I said, beautiful bride, we got to get out of here. And she's like, but I'm talking. And I'm like, we need to leave. Otherwise like a scene will be made. <laughs> and she, she could tell in my voice and through the rage in my eyes, she's like, Hey kids, time to go. So my wife <laughs> is a beautiful woman in every sense. And so she was able to pick up on it. And then after that, like, I was just like, Hey, like, this isn't right. Like this, there's no way that this is right. Like the church is like, I've always paid like on my gross. And then I started taking a look at tithing. I was like, Hey, well, maybe tithing should just be kind of our increase. And so I was like, okay, so what's my increase? I took a look at like my house payments, my groceries, how much I was paying on diapers and groceries, <laughs> Nothing. And servicing debt and everything else. And so I was like, Hey, increase is easy. And I even like, I even did it kind of like tax, right? Like, Hey, these are all my increases. And then I added back meals and entertainment. Um, meals and entertainment was like, when I was, when I was in university, I made a conscious decision to take my wife out on a date, like every Friday night. And it wouldn't be much like we go out for like a slurpee or whatever. And sometimes you go out for dinner and, and sometimes it, 
like, yeah, but my wife needed that break. And so I love my wife. Exactly. And so I said, every Friday night, we were going to go out on a date. And so oh. even the date money, I added that back because I was like, well, really, that's not increasing. It's like spurge money. And so I paid tithing on saving, like, on my wife's oh my sanity. God, you're so <laughs> conscientious. No, and that's what it just, oh. And then to see you abused in that way, you know, because you are conscientious. And I mean, I had, and you did the right thing. I'm amazed and proud of you because when I was attending, uh, I wasn't attending BYU, but I was working at BYU and I was newly married. And I also told my bishop I was a partial tithe payer because I worked at BYU and made no money. And, you know, he told me that my he'd have to let my boss know that he couldn't give me an ecclesiastical endorsement, which meant I would lose my job unless I came up with the back tithing. And mm -hmm. so I did. I had to do a cash advance on a credit card to get the back tithing to save my job, the job that didn't pay me enough to afford to live to pay the tithing. So, but in my case, you know, I panicked and I just, I did what I had to do. So kudos to you for recognizing what it is and going and grabbing your wife out of the gym. Did you take the salad? I hope you took the salad too. <laughs> you know what? I don't remember. I, I had steam coming out of my ears. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, no, you know, and that's what I mean. Good, honorable people who see the big picture and, and you're just abused in that way. And I'm really sorry that happened to you. That's crazy. So now you're on this path where you're really seeing things a little more clearly. The mental yeah. gymnastics are not going in the favor of the church. So no. And then like at the time, like I was taking a look and there was, so my walls, like my, my shelf, my proverbial shelf or however you want to say it, like things started coming to light when I really lost um, faith in the spirit of discernment. And, and I could see how little discernment there really was. Um, and I remember like some of it came down, like there was a little bit of a scandal in my ward where, yeah, I don't want to go into any details in case that, uh, incriminate anybody. Be vague. But, you can just be yeah, vague. <laughs> yeah, there was a situation in where there was somebody that clearly was in positions of authority where if there was any discernment that big presidents and high councils and bishops should have picked up on it, but nobody ever did. And then for me, I love my children. Don't get me wrong. But generally speaking, like I don't like kids. And so for me to have four kids, oof, that is definitely an exercise in patience. You I love my kids to bits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> love my kids um but like i remember i sat like i had just been released from the elvis corn presidency and um, then they extended a new calling to me and keeping in mind this is after i told my bishop that i'm not up to date on my tithing and oh, then of course oh of course and then they're like, they like okay well uh, we want you to serve in the nursery i, know. I was like really and so to relegated put this, <laughs> to put this all into perspective at this time, like we had our four kids and then there was someone close to us where um, there was some family dynamics that were underway. And so their kids were actually taken out of their house and put into our house. And so we are taking care of two other kids. And at the time, my oldest, <laughs> yeah. And so at the time we had six kids and Ben was the oldest at seven, and, like two of them were in diapers. And so like we were already exhausted and, you know, we had an excellent ward. Like some of the members in there, like they were, oh man, I can't say enough good things about them. They rallied and so they'd bring us meals and, and all sorts oh. of things. But then they called my wife to be in the nursery. Like, are you serious? Oh, like seriously. my wife is already drowning and she's trying to get away from kids and you're going to put her in a room with more kids. And then they called me to be in the nursery. And I remember looking at them. And I was like, <laughs> that is the most uninspired thing I've ever heard anyone say. And I walked out. 
<laughs> and then you that, are our hero i am not kidding but they did the same thing to you landon remember you were questioning and going to leaders about the book of abraham and they yanked you from all your other callings and said well you can go to the nursery i'm telling you the nursery is where skeptics yep. go to die <laughs> yep and, and my whole my whole issues came up uh when i didn't show up to tithing settlement that's when the bishop finally called me yep. <laughs> yeah no it's that that's the check right there if you don't yep. show up there there's something wrong so Oh my goodness. So both you and your wife said no to that. Is that correct? I no, we, like she, my wife, she was a saint and she was like, yeah, oh. like this is what the Lord wants me to do. And so if there was somebody in the congregation was like, that is the first time I almost put up my hand to oppose. Cause oh. like there was some upset people. Yeah, they knew, but oh. eventually we stuck it through and then I stuck it through and then everything started coming down. And then I remember like after the, the Bishop told me that I needed to repay my tithing, like I was I was living, and then I was taking a look, and I wanted to know. I was like, "How much money does the church actually have?" And I googled it, and at the time, I think they said that there was like forty billion dollars in investments. And I was like, "Holy cow!" It's like the church clearly has surplus cash. I know how much money it has in Canada, and like we talk about the church and all of its investments, which are immense. But one thing that we don't even really hear much conversation around is how much like liquid cash there is. Like in Canada, like in Canada, there's a hundred million dollars in cash. Like the church has $100 million in cash just hanging out in bank accounts here. And like all these youth programs are getting cut. And it's like, well, you've got all the cash. Like clearly you can afford it. And so I remember when I was, when I had different callings and this is after I saw the, the financial information, I was like, man, the church is always going to reimburse me. So I always blew the budget and they'd tell me, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that. I was like, meh, what are they going to do? <laughs> right? <laughs> the church is always going to do that. But yeah. So like the church in Canada has a hundred million dollars cash just going out. Just Canada, because it's transparent there. That's what I mean. Imagine if any other countries had those kinds of laws, the kind of cash that's laying around. We have no idea. I don't think we can fathom this. This is, this that's is just smart. a tiny little window into it. And thank goodness we have it, but this is incredible. And so after that, like after discernments and everything else, like everything came down pretty quick. Like my wife, she read the CES letter and she's like, oh my gosh. Um, and then I didn't even need to read the whole thing. I read a couple of parts because I still kind of clung to like the Book of Mormon and the three witnesses and things like that. And then after I read those sections, I was like, yeah, I'm done. Like I've been, I've been trying to make it work for far too long. And then I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile things any further. And so was, was this all before you had discovered the, the hundred? It's all after. This no, was after. Remember he okay. said so he did you were the gymnastics faithful and... up until that point. Yeah um yeah when you found that okay and then i was like this is nonsense and so i stopped donating to the church because i felt like it was um Excessive. felt like what they were doing was immoral actually yeah. um i feel like what they they do in coercing individuals to pay tithing at the expense of paying rent and buying groceries mm -hmm. it's nefarious um, yep and I, yep, we are on the same in good conscience I, I i can't support that and so like me stepping back and seeing how little the church does like don't i need to i need to qualify this a bit because yeah the church says that we do give a billion dollars in aid i would love to see what that figure is comprised of um because earlier as i said like when we talk about donations to the church like tithing, it falls into this general fund where tithing can be used for just about anything, but anything else that you check off on the box of that tithing receipt, like for temples or missionary or anything like that, those are considered restricted contributions. 
And restricted contributions are by their nature restricted to the box that you check. And so fast offerings, for example, that's a restricted contribution and the church has to use fast offerings for all those purposes that are outlined, like assisting individuals in the war, like the Bishop's storehouse and things like that. Um, so when the church says that they've donated a billion dollars, I wonder like how much of that is fast offerings where it's restricted, where like accounting standards require that they actually use fast offerings for those purposes. Like of that billion dollars, how much of that actually comes out of the, that general revenue of tithing? And we'll never see that. I so never know. When, when you reported this, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what led to the report? You, you called the fifth estate, is that is that right? Or how, how did that come about and what led to that? Yeah, let's put up that slide, Landon, because oh, I okay. think we're gonna talk about now that Nigel's at this point, in his mindset and journey, um, he's going to take action. He's going to take some steps. And not everybody would do that. That's why this is such an amazing story. And you were you were the only one that really could. You were so qualified to be able to do this. So well, let's bring up this slide right here. Get I don't know if that's set. necessarily the case. I think what I had was I just had an insight that nobody had ever really shared before. And so right. after sitting on things, like I, I thought for years, I was like, you know what, like the church isn't changing. Um, so if they're not going to do it, then I'm just going to raise it to the attention of the media. Mm -hmm. um, and then hopefully the media, like the media has a fantastic way of swaying public opinion. Um, like when we take a look at the 60 Minutes piece that was just broadcast down in the States um, a few weeks ago, I'm of the opinion that like that was meant solely to sway public opinion. And I think that it does an excellent job of, of doing stuff like that. Um, and so like, I, I was like, hey, well, if the church is going to change, then I'm going to reach out to the media because the media has a fantastic way of drawing significant issues to people. And so I reached out to the fifth estate, um, which and is- And tell us what the fifth estate is. Yeah, because I thought this was very yeah. interesting. And I remember yeah, you so said when I talked to you before that you thought, you know, I'll give this to them. And if it's something, then it is something, you know? And if it's not, then it's not, but let them- yeah you know, let them look into it, which I thought was a great way to look at it. Yeah, it was my litmus test. And so the Fifth Estate yeah, exactly. is an investigative journalism program in Canada. And so they've been around for decades. Um, they are publicly funded by by the CBC, like the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, but yeah, so they will investigate different issues. And so every, every year they've got a season where they have a set number of episodes. And then throughout the year as well, they'll have published articles. And so I was like, well, you know what? I will reach out to the Fifth Estate and see what happens. If uh, if there's a story to be had, then my concern is legitimate. And if there's no story to be had, then I'll just ride off peacefully into the sunset. In my mind, I kind of had like Indiana Jones at the end of the last crusade, right? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. And so I reached out to the CBC and I, I drafted this email. I drafted it in the, it was like February of 2022 and then sent it off. And then after I sent it off, like, I just felt like this wave of really feels like, hey, good. I did everything that I could do. Yeah. And then I got a response. And I was like, whoa, holy cow, that was fast. And then I took a look at the response. And it was just an automatic response. I was like, oh, thank you for your tip. We get thousands of in, like we get thousands of of uh items every day, blah, blah, blah. So if uh there's anything to be had here, then we'll reach out to you further. I was like, all right. Did what I did. And then I just kind of wrote it off in the back of my mind. I was like, hey, I did everything that uh, I said I was gonna do. And then I think it was like within the week I got an email back and it was pretty straightforward. It said like, hi Nigel, we've received your, uh, we've received your email and I'm very intrigued. Would you be interested in having a, like a, a video conference? It's like, 
Oh my Ow. gosh. <laughs> what does your wife think? I just tried to picture her going, you did what? You sent what, where? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, like her eyes got about as big as sausages. Um, and then she's like, Oh, wow. Um, and so then, yeah, we, uh, I met with, uh, with one of the producers from the fifth estate. And then I, I asked him point blank. I was like, Hey, what's the, like, what's the likelihood of this going any further? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I was like, kind of sounds like, like low. He's like, yeah, it could be low. I was like, all right. Um, but then I'd been connected to some other people. And so as information was coming up, I was sending additional articles. And so, um, like one of the, the articles that I'd sent was, um, about, uh, lighting up the Y at BYU and things like that, because like in Canada, like if you've got a foreign qualified donee, then in theory, that foreign qualified donee should uphold Canadian values. And in Canada, we've got very, um, strong values that, uh, support the LGBTQ population. Like we support same-sex marriage and everything else here. And so the fact that there'd be a university that could, expel students because of their sexual orientation in my mind um kind of spits in the face of canadian values which is why um the fifth estate did that that interview with those with those students down at byu yeah. it wasn't part of the uh, the quote-unquote like gay agenda which is everybody saying it is it's, it's because what's happening is canadian like the canadian church is funding a university with values that run contrary to Canadian values, right? right. It'd be because no the different. money is going there because the hundred million dollars is going to BYU and their policies are very different from what people would agree to in Canada. And they were unwittingly funding that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was emailing back and forth and then had some more video conferences. And then I got an email that said, Hey, Nigel, um, you want to do an interview? And at the time, like, I just wanted anonymity. Like, I was like, I just want to be in the shadows. Like, I got a, like, I got a little bit to lose, right? Like, yeah. I got family, and then I've got yeah. all sorts of implications for work and whatnot. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if there's something that I want to do. Um, and then ultimately, what uh, what swayed my opinion was was my kids, like these four little creatures that that I love dearly. Um, they kept like. When I worked for the government, there was a poster that hung on the wall that said, if you really want to make a difference in the world, make a difference in the life of a child. And I wanted my kids to know that they can make changes. Um, and I wanted to set a good example for my kids on the type of individuals that they should be. That usually the, the right choice to make is often the hardest one. Um, and don't get me wrong, like I'm still feeling the, the repercussions of, of what I did. And this is six months after the fact, like I still feeling the the tremors today um but yeah and so i reached out and then was interviewed and had a, a fantastic experience um mark kelly is a very kind man and very empathetic um and so he could understand the like how difficult really it is because at the end of the day i'm kind of turning my back on a church a church that guarantees my salvation right and so it was uh it was still very difficult for me um but yeah, no, like the, for the state, it was, it was excellent. And so I found that their journalism was, was on point. Um, and it's interesting because while we were emailing back and forth, I sent them some of the issues that were going on in Australia. And so then they reached out to Australia and, and then disclosed to me that they were working in tandem with, um, with 60 Minutes Australia on what was going on over there. So that was kind of cool. 
Yeah, that collaboration was so interesting because I think we saw Canada come out first and then we're like, wait, but wait, there's more. Suddenly there was Australia and then there was that kind of collaboration going back and forth. And and I think people were trying to understand because it's a different scenario in Canada and Australia. People were trying to really dig into both to understand the difference, I think, and therefore really more clearly understand even the situation. So this is a picture here on the slide of uh, the logo that the fifth estate or the picture that's the which temple is that that's the Christ in alberta temple okay that's what i was thinking alberta right with the canadian flag and then there's a picture of our hero whistleblower nigel uh, being interviewed right there and we're going to link this interview um in the show notes because it is it is very well put together it's very clear we're going to go over of course right now you know, kind of exactly what they talked about and help you kind of understand exactly what Nigel's uh, pointing out, what he discovered. But I would definitely say it's worth taking a look at because it was really interesting. Wouldn't you agree, Landon? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I, I thought sure. this was better done than the uh, than the yeah. 60 Minutes one in the yep. U.S. It, it was well absolutely. done. Absolutely. I think so, too. So maybe do you want to put up one of the other slides? Maybe let Nigel tell us which one would be to start with a more interesting and maybe, you know, in layman's terms, again, we're, and these are some wonderful slides from the widow's might, uh, because they of course, uh, delve into everything going on and try to also help make it clear that maybe for layman, uh, just kind of explain a little bit about, I mean, we've touched on it already, but just, you know, explain a little bit about what you found, what it means, why it's not up to snuff. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there are provisions in Canada where you can send money to like qualified donees um, outside of the country with the expectation that those qualified um, organizations are, are benefiting Canadians. So typically is the case with universities, right? So like you'll see a Canadian student that's attending a university. Um, and so because universities already subsidize in Canada, if they're going to, to school in the States, um, then that individual's education isn't necessarily being subsidized by Canadian taxpayers, like how it is for other Canadian institutions. And so qualified donees can donate to these other, excuse me, charities in Canada can donate to these other qualified donees because there's still that benefit to Canadians. So as um, long as there are Canadian students at a school, um, that money could be earmarked, could be sent to that school, as long as there are Canadian students. Yeah. And so I don't think that the, uh, that, the way that the act, like the tax act that was set up, like they didn't ever cap it on how much you can send. Um, but I felt like there was always kind of like this spirit of the law um, that like, it'd be like, well, you're not supposed to be sending like all of your surplus money down there, right? <laughs> like a hundred so, uh, million dollars, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, which, and so which, when you- I, I think it was like half of what they brought in, wasn't it? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was not just 10%, it was a huge portion of what they were bringing in. Yeah, and so like in- any given year, the church in Canada will send, but like in the ballpark of a hundred million dollars. Some years it's been more, other years it's been less. But for convenience' sake, we'll just settle on a hundred million dollars. Okay, um, so like it says here on the slide, like yeah, and I in twenty two, I accused the church of abusing tax laws. Like uh, I'll take responsibility for that one. Like yeah, I accused the church of abusing tax laws um, because in my mind they absolutely are abusing a provision. Um, of sending money down to foreign universities. Okay. Um, when, so when you can... when you say that they're 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 basically money laundering, right? I, I mean, they're taking that they, they can't they can't take the ties from Canada and just transfer them to Salt Lake. So, Correct. but what they can do is they can send it to BYU, 
So they send it to BYU, which frees up money in Salt Lake for them to use it uh, wherever, however they want in Utah. So Canada is way overfunding BYU percentage-wise to offset so that the church doesn't have to spend as much as its U.S. money to do uh, to, to sponsor uh, BYU. It, is that a fair statement? Yeah, oh, 100%. So I think it's on the next slide that it kind of goes into greater details about that, right? Because like the church allocates about a billion dollars to DBYU every year, right? And so Canada is contributing about a hundred million dollars. That's, I don't know, in that ballpark between that eight and 10%, right? But the uh, Canadian population attending BYU, like is the, the fifth estate uncovered, it's less than 2%. Yeah, I looked right? it up, so 1.6, 1.6%, yeah. Very so disproportional. <laughs> And so if you brought that down by individuals, like I think between all the campuses, there's what, like roughly 60,000 students. And so 1.6 of that ends up being about $70,000 is being subsidized per Canadian. It's grossly overstated. You, 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 could, you could give every one of them a full ride scholarship. Yeah. 100%. Yep. So $70,000, like there's no way that the government of Canada, like, and the, excuse me, um, that the provincial governments in Canada are subsidizing universities to the tune of $70,000 per student. Like, no way. Um, and so when we see numbers like that, that's why, in my mind, and others would agree, this provision is absolutely being abused. So um, I know that uh, there was a talk that maybe um, this was okay because everything's within the law, but last I checked, um, there's what's right and what's legal and it seems as though the church is kind of losing their moral authority by slipping into that territory of legality um, over what is ethical. Um, and so like we see here, like, yeah, 8.9% of BYU's funding came from Canada with a student body of less than 2%, 1.6%. Yeah. And so out of proportion. <laughs> Did yeah. did you know did you know it was legal what they were doing, but you you always approached it as an abuse, or did you see it? Did you think it might be illegal when you reported it, or what was your uh, take when you reported to the fifth estate? Um, when I reported it to the fifth estate, it didn't seem right. Um, I knew that like the church, they have a fantastic firm of lawyers that will ensure that they're doing everything they can to do what is legal. And so if the church was able to funnel money down to BYU, that it would have to be doing it through, through legal channels. Um, but once again, what is legal isn't necessarily what is ethical. I think yeah. that's the bottom line. And then of course, by funneling the money in that way, other places where they collect money that you cannot funnel it in that way, you can put that into the giant investment fund. So you kind of, you know, pay Peter, pay Paul, get that. It's laundering, just like you said, get the money to the university, use the places where you can't do that somewhere else, get the money into the fund. So well, it's a big chess match the way I picture it. The, these three stories were very much tied together. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, you can't separate the three because basically, you know, if you take it and you, you play it out to its end, you've got... The Canadian government saying, churches, you have to use all of your money for charitable donations here in, in Canada, and you have to use it for charitable purposes. We passed a law. This is how churches and our citizens must use their money. 
however, we, we make an allowance for you to give money to a, to a university. So the church takes that and says, how can we go completely get everything tax-free out of this? And they say, well, we'll transfer all the money to, through the university. So they transfer it into Utah. Meanwhile, down here in Australia, you've got the Australians who also are saying, uh, anything you donate to a church is not tax is taxable. You can, but if you donate to a charity, it's not. So then they set up this account where they say, okay, we're now going to take all this money that we just got from Canada. We're going to earmark that for BYU. We're going to take the BYU money. We're going to earmark that for charities across the world that we're going to funnel through Australia to make sure that they're tax exempt so that we don't have to pay any taxes there. Meantime, we're going to take the money we saved on taxes there and in Canada and we're going to invest it into an investment fund here in the U.S. that's going to grow to uh, hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, yep, check, well, that's checkmate. Me. I'm telling you, checkmate, it's a chess yeah. match. It's yeah. very, very intricate and tricky. And what it shows to me is a general disdain for humanity. And what yeah. I mean by that is that, like, you take a look at like the the threefold mission of the church, but it is now the fourthfold um, mission of the church, right? Like, you have proclaim the gospel. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, perfect the saints, mm -hmm. redeem the dead. And then just recently they've added to help yeah. the poor and needy, Being right? Like, so, yeah. right. And, and so that to me is just like, wow. So even helping needy, like they kind of appended that to everything else. Um, but even then, like what they have is, is it kind of shows that they care about dead people more than they care about the living as well with the yeah. whole redeem the dead. Like yeah. how many billions of dollars every year being spent on, on temple construction? And don't get me wrong, I understand that the church believes that everybody needs to have your saving ordinances done and that the temple is part of that. But really, you just need to go through once. After that, you're free and clear. After that, you're just working on it for a whole bunch of people who have predeceased you. And yeah. I thought there was this whole period of time called the millennium where all the graves and records would be opened and all those people were going to get the work done anyway. So I don't understand why we're spending all of our time and energy right now to try and redeem the dead yeah. when that's what the millennium is for. And so the church is siphoning all this money to build up huge stock reserves to even if like temple building is part of it, what that shows to me is just a general disdain um, for those who are, are poor and needy um, because they would much rather stockpile all their, their wealth. They'd much rather erect temples um, than they would to help the poor and needy. Yeah. Because the temple yeah, is an asset, uh, a, a, exactly. a food to a, to a poor people is not an asset. No, it's yeah. an expense. Yeah, it's, it's, an the, expense. it's the it's their their PNL, right? And so yep. it, it costs money. But meanwhile, temples, whew, not only are they assets, they're revenue generating assets, right? Absolutely. Because in order to get into the temple, you have to ensure that there's faithful congregants who are paying their tithing, right? Yeah. And the thing that even kind of bothers me even further with all this is that, like, I took I took a look at um what. Uh, what else? I don't know. Is he Bishop? What else? I don't even know what his official. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Bishop presiding in the, the presiding, presiding bishopric. Yes, yeah. Waddell. And um, yeah. what he was like when posed the question about like, well, if the church was more transparent, like, wouldn't this put to bed a lot of these concerns? He was like, no, because then they're going to tell us how to spend our money. But this shows <laughs> Rightly me. Rightly so. How, I, I well, thought Jesus already told that. us how. <laughs> yeah, it's been on the poor and needy. But what gets me clear. further though is that like there's members of the church who are who are actively leaving over the church's finances like there Absolutely. are people mm -hmm. who are leaving yep. because the church yep. is not transparent with their financial activities yep. and so if the church 
really clued into this fact with this whole perfect this the saints um then they should have no problem like if they realize that people's salvation is on the line and that by them leaving the church because they're not being transparent it shows further how little they really do care about members of the church because they are willing to let them go because they are far more interested in keeping their reserves secret than they are in helping preserve the salvation of their members it's wow. That is such it's, a good um, point. Yeah, you know, it, it makes I, me sick to my stomach. Yeah, I, no, I, I had I, not thought of that before. That is really interesting. And the other thing I keep thinking is missionary work. It's dismal. No one is joining. Imagine the PR and perhaps the uptick in missionary work if they were to make massive charitable donations. People would associate them with incredible good, world-changing good. You wouldn't even need missionaries. Everybody would no. know that Mormons were amazing. They're not doing it. They do not have that association that they're a huge charitable force for good in the world at all. And they could very easily. They'll tell that they're spending a billion dollars on, on charitable aid. But yeah. I am convinced that the majority oh. of that comes from restricted contributions. That it isn't even coming out of the general funds. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's true. But I'll never know because the church would much rather have me be damned than, you know, <laughs> disclose their financial information. <laughs> You know, I, I had a I had a thought today uh, as I was thinking about this, and that's dangerous when I have those. But uh, it is uh, dangerous. You have too much time on your hands if you're thinking. <laughs> I, I was wondering. You know, I I was going. Why do not even the? You know, it's only the first presidency and the presiding bishopric that uh, that knew about this fund or seemed to have like any six oversight. people. Yeah, the Tiny the remaining the remaining uh, twelve apostles didn't seem to have a no in it. And I'm, I, you know, I was thinking, why wouldn't you tell the other 12 apostles, why would not apostles, your senior, you know, your board members, basically, of your church not know about this fund? And then I started wondering, well, if they actually knew that what they were doing was was illegal or was, was uh, you know, stretching the law, you, you, you have 90-year-old men up there who are in the know that you basically have left so nobody else knows about it and these men by the time you even find out about it and they bring any charges those guys are going to be dead because they're already 90 years old or whatever um and so by keeping it limited to just these 90 year old people you you've basically eliminated anyone else knowing about it so that if anything did come up you'd have nobody left to testify about it when you went to question people well, and what it does as well, like there was that uh, that general authority a, a few years ago, who, like he's been getting a lot of heat lately because he was in Africa saying, well, we are not a wealthy church. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I, I don't have any issues with him because he was kept out of the loop. He was honestly of the opinion that the church was not a wealthy church. Yeah. And the church, like the, the presiding leadership of that church, deliberately withheld that information from him so that he could make what are in his mind true and honest statements and so i feel bad for him because he's yeah kind of been raked through the coals a little bit online no, but you know what like right. he yeah he he made statements based on information that he was provided with that, that's a yeah good and point. that's why i think when the sec came out um a lot of post-mormon podcasters said okay 
everybody, look at this. All of you faithful podcasters, some of you, you know, general authorities, you see this now. You cannot pretend you don't know. I think a lot of people expected there might be some, you know, negative sustaining boats, things like that, like something might change now that everybody knows. I think there was a little, don't you think, Landon, a little hope that maybe somebody would come out and say, I see it now. Nobody did. They closed ranks, even in the face of all of that evidence. You would, you would think. What was, these... what was the, the official statement? We now consider the matter closed. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Closed ranks is what it is. Yeah, it well, was and just very the incredible hubris of it, right? Like they're like, hey, yeah. no, we are saying this is done. Like we do not yeah. want any Over. further investigation into this. We now consider yeah. the matter closed. Like, holy cow, get off your high horse and be accountable to people. Like everybody else holds accountability. You were, you ask for our sustaining vote every six months. You ask for our sustaining vote. So like by golly, just be accountable and say like, hey, you know what? Like we uh, we recognize that maybe we screwed up here. So if there are concerns, like let's air these grievances. But there is zero responsibility. They are willing to throw anybody and everybody under the bus to protect the sanctity of their callings. It's, yeah, mind boggling. And unfortunately, they've got everybody towing the line where they're like, hey, well, you know what? Like I raised my arm to the square and I made covenants in the temple where I will not speak against my, my church leaders. Even have members of the the first presidency that say like, well, even if the like, what did President Oak say that even if the criticisms don't are criticize, valid, even if it's yeah. warranted, yeah, even if it's true, you don't get to criticize. Like, so, like, yeah, exactly. and that that was really telling what you just said because you're you're right. They basically by keeping it those six, they could gaslight their own membership and mm -hmm. their own leadership, including the leadership. The twelve apostles. They could gaslight yeah. and say. We're not a wealthy church. Yeah. So it, yeah, limited liability, right? Like everything that the church does is to protect protect their name and their brand. Like the church has spent years and millions and billions of dollars building a brand. And now we're able to see that like it, it, that brand is tarnishing and they are yeah. doing everything that they can to try and protect that image. So yeah, let I me ask you, um, the whistleblower, you, you, you watch David Nilsson, you watch the 60 Minutes uh, mm -hmm. here in the U.S., uh, what was your take on that? And what was your, did you feel a brotherhood with David Nilsson? <laughs> and can you kind of explain that? And, and uh, you know, you're in a, a, a very small group of people who have, have done this and the backlash group, yes. that you might have gotten from members and your family and neighbors and uh, lost business. I wouldn't put myself in the same category as him. He had... He lost a lot more than I think I ever will have to lose. Um, his name has been torn through the mud and he's been in the press far more than I have. Like he's been in it since what, like the Washington Post um, um, published their article back in 2019, right? Um, and so he has, he has my support, whatever that means. And I wish him all the best, but no, like his career He's jeopardized a lot, um, and I'm not sure what his family situation is. Uh, I've been fortunate enough that my 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 wife and I we we left together, um, so we are we've always been on the same page. I, I made a conscious decision. She started making changes before I I did, um, but I always had this idea of I love my wife, and if everything that the church teaches is true, then God's not going to hold me um, full of fault, right? So. I was just like, hey, I love my wife. And so like, I'm not too sure what, uh, what Nielsen's situation is, but yeah, like I, uh, I, I respect him 
and um, yeah, I admire him for what he did. Did did it surprise you? The re, did, what was the reaction from the church from your leadership? Was there any ever any contact with you or discussions with you after the appearance? After the appearance, no, I didn't hear anything from the church, and I no. I was surprised, but not at the same time. After all is said and done, I'm just some schmuck from Canada, right? So, like, what am I <laughs> Under really the radar? Do? Yeah. Until uh, now, you're on Mormonish. We have five viewers, and they are no. And they all know your we name. We have now. more than that's right. We have wonderful viewers and way more than five. So no, that that's exactly right. That's so funny. I'd be interested. I know when on Steve's show when we were on there together, you talked a little bit and maybe made it a little more clear about exactly what Canada lost by that money going out of the country. It wasn't just the amount of that money. It was the tax that people would have paid that also went into the country maybe make that clear what that could have been used for and how it was a bigger loss even than a hundred million dollars leaving the country well and that's a hundred million dollars leaving the country annually um right and i think over a 10-year period they estimated that that was roughly a billion dollar lost in federal revenues um wow. so like we're a small country we're like a, a tenth of the size of the u.s right but a billion dollars like that's a billion dollars and that's just federally. That's not including like provincial revenues that have been lost as well. Uh, and then things like that go towards um, providing um, financial uh, subsistence to our various social programs, whether that be um, health transfers that the federal government makes to the provinces to fund health care or for education or for infrastructure or a number of any other program. But then as well, what happens is, and this is what gets me especially, is that the reason why there are these charitable donation tax credits is because really those donations to those charities are supposed to alleviate government spending, right? Like if, like here we've got the food bank um, in Edmonton, right? And so if you donated a thousand dollars to the food bank, then in theory, that's a thousand dollars less that municipal, federal and provincial governments would have to contribute towards the food bank because the food bank goes towards providing um, food to to those who can't afford it, right? Um, so if you give a thousand dollars to the food bank, perfect. You save the province a thousand bucks. Sure, you get some tax credits, and after all is said and done, the the province lost out on taxation revenue, but they're still coming out ahead because there wasn't that that cash outflow. Mm -hmm. But when you're donating to charities, and that charity is then sending money all the way down south of the border, and not only are you costing the government, the, the lost revenue from taxation, but you're still leaving them with the burden of like funding various social programs. And so they actually get hit twice. So it's a, yeah. it's a double whammy when you're sending such exorbitant sums of money south of the border. Yeah, it's a double dip. And I feel, you know, the common member, they don't know that. They think, oh, look, you know, I'm giving my money. I'm helping. They're not helping at all. So, well, and that's yeah, what blows me away. Like, I remember being a kid and I was like, hey, well, we donate to the church. Oh, well, the beautiful thing about the church is that they don't have overhead. So all the money we give to the church, it goes to the people in need. Yeah. I guess the financial record suggests otherwise, right? <laughs> like, it got <laughs> to say the like, least. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not going to donate to this charity because I donate to the church and the church. They're the ones that take care of these yeah. people too. Yeah. Oh, do you need help? Go to my church. They'll help you. Yeah. yeah maybe. Are, if are you, you quoting my father? You're quoting Sunday. my dad right there. Yeah. No, that's what they think. And so I guess we should say this, what has happened in Canada is not illegal. That is not what we're saying at all, but no. ethical, well, that's a whole different oh, story. Yeah. I will say that it is unethical. Yes. Yeah.
do they have do they have BYU pathways there in in Canada? Yeah, they do. Did and I know did people who did that come out after the fact? Do you, is there any chance that that was an effort to try to get more people enrolled in BYU from these out of country? Right. I don't know. I, I believe that. Well, I know that BYU Pathways has been around for a number of years. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's related or not. I just because they would count those people also, and you know, in addition to the ones As attending students, the campus, right. they'd say, "Oh, but we also have ten thousand students in BYU Pathway." Um, yeah. So uh, I could I can see that claim being made. Yeah, but I don't know how many Canadians are participating in that program, right? Because yeah, then if yeah, you still I break, yeah, it I don't. Need, but again, that's one that only the church has the records for, and they can claim as many <laughs> as they want, you know. Uh, and, and to be clear like i think that education is is very important like exactly. i went to school myself like don't get me wrong education is important and it should be funded um but if the church has the means to do it um with better distribution and what i mean by that is like how it allocates its resources then absolutely it should like the church spends more buying and selling apple stock every quarter than it does on humanitarian aid for crying out Right. So like clear, like we can take a look at what they have because like, they've got the their filings that are public and that say that there's like whatever, $46 billion in marketable securities. But that's just marketable securities. We have no idea what they're holding in land or other commercial endeavors or what they have just in liquid cash or what their bonds look like. Like clearly the church can afford to fund BYU. Like, you know what? Like it could fund BYU hundred percent. Like so like, give everybody a free ride scholarship, but it doesn't because BYU at the end of the day also turns around and makes a little bit of a profit, right? So, yeah, I I had not realized until your until I saw the Fifth Estate and saw, you know, all this money transferring. Uh, I I guess I always knew that the BYU was funded by tithing dollars or was you know, but I didn't realize that it really offset the tuition for the students who go there, mm -hmm. uh, which I had kids in college at the time when this you know, when this broke and I, I had to say to myself, this is really unfair that my, my child is out there working a job to pay to go to the state school. They're paying full tuition to go to school, but they're paying tithing to 10% to fund somebody who's going to BYU so they can pay less money for their tuition. How, well, how not only that, that there's still an admissions process, like there's still an admissions process. So they can still say, you know what, like, you know what, you're grazing credit, so you don't get it. Even though your yeah. family's been paying tens of thousands of dollars in tithing, you don't cut it. So you're not getting in. You so they still in. have the right. Yeah. So they, yep. they can elite. still cut you off. And if you're a mission president's son or daughter or. No, you got to go for free. Yeah. So That's you're right. You're, and these are these are people who make who come from very successful business backgrounds that are doing this. Anyway, and now they're getting yeah. free college on top of it when they're already millionaires themselves. It's well. And I get a kick out of it too because they they lovingly refer to BYU as the Lord's University, but they don't have a med program, right? Yeah. 
I take they a look at what Jesus program. was. Jesus, Jesus was, they have a like, law program. A Jesus loves but, lawyers. No. Yeah, that's not what I recall. I recall that uh, Jesus didn't really have too many nice things to say about lawyers yeah. or all those money lenders. Right? No, it's open to interpretation. So, no, when I worked at BYU, we were constantly reminded at devotionals and, you know, meetings at work that we were being paid from the sacred tithes. And so we should feel extremely special about that. And I would always joke, well, if we're being paid from tithing, does that mean I have to tithe? it. Obviously, my story earlier says yes, but yeah, they definitely promote it as just very sacred, special money, and you need to be beholding to that in a way. So well, it's very interesting. And even when it comes to tithing, I feel like the church has become the money lenders and, and users that Jesus tried to storm out of the temple, uh, right? Like they're the, the ones irony. Are, yeah. yeah. The total irony. Has, has anything changed in Canada? since the fifth estate, since, you know, your information, has there been any change at all? Like we said, it's all legal, but I just wonder if optically anything has changed or do you even um, know? Nothing's been announced yet. Um, okay. It takes a long time for, for changes yeah. like those to, to occur. I will say that I did write a letter to my MPs, um, so our members of parliament, and mm -hmm. I had a, a list of, of suggestions. And one of them even was that uh, on the CRA directory charity listing, that they break down and have a separate page for foreign universities. And like CRA updated their page to include a link for foreign universities. So I know, I don't know if that was just oh. a coincidence or if maybe they actually did take it seriously, but. I think you have clout. You're the Canadian tithing whistleblower. So keep writing those letters. I think you do have clout. I think that's amazing and wonderful. So, wow, this is so fascinating. It's just, uh, do you have any last questions, uh, Landon? And then maybe we'll just ask Nigel for a parting statement and we'll sign off for tonight. Do you have any other thing that, that we yeah, need I, to discuss that you can I think of? I just want to ask about the political, how how strong is the church politically there? Yeah. Can they pretty much uh, stop legislation from changing? Uh, do they have enough power and members there? I know I know Western Canada is has a large LDS population. Uh, yeah. So one of the things, like, there's a number of, of restrictions that we have in place. Like in Canada, like corporations can't make political contributions, for example, right? And individuals are limited. And like, I think they, yeah, like they're capped at how much they can contribute to political parties as well. That's not to say that you won't get a block of individuals that'll encourage members to make donations. Um, but for that reason, like there isn't the same um, uh, influence that same political influence that organizations have on government. Um, that's not to say that, like you say, like here in Alberta, there's a strong LDS population. Um, but I don't know if that's enough to have any political sway. Good. Yeah, I'm it's always to interesting to delve into that. Yeah, see again, Landon's <laughs> like, I've had it here. I'm moving to Canada. That's it. So uh, this has just been great. Do you have any last thoughts or anything you'd like to say, Nigel? This has just been absolutely wonderful and so informative to talk to you. No, I, I don't have any, like this was uh this was a treat. Thank you. So like <laughs> I say, it's uh it's been a busy six months and uh, I'm happy that you were able to carve out some time and let me be on your yeah. show. No, I think this is great. And obviously we will keep in touch with you and for our viewers and for our own uh, interest. And if things change or things open up or something new happens, we'll definitely want to have you come back on and talk because I feel like 
every day finance is in the news. Don't you feel that way, Landon? It just oh. seems like there's always something happening. People are looking into things. Things are changing. Transparency is, I believe, being forced to happen, right? It's not going to happen on its own. But there are people everywhere like Nigel, like David Nelson, like Australia. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of exactly who brought all that to light. But yeah, people. And it just shows that, you know what, you may be small. You may be just one person. But you know what? If you see something, say something, right? Can I say that? Is that, the that, that that's what I love about uh, what Nigel did? Is he said this yeah. doesn't sound right, and he reported yeah. it, and 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 he reported it exactly yep. what you would expect, and exactly what we've been taught our entire life in church. That if you see something that, that doesn't seem to be that is the or ethical, irony. You should bring now, it. Isn't up. that the irony of all the, the right. people that come forward yeah. and speak out? They were trained in the church to choose the right, to do what's moral, like you described your parents teaching you. And unfortunately, eventually you kind of turn that back onto the institution that taught you that. And you're just saying, you are the ones that gave me these values and these morals. I'm sorry that you have not lived up to that. And I now have to turn those on you, but you have to do what, what feels right to you and, and your conscience and your morals. So... Well, this has been fascinating and wonderful. We will put links to everything we talked about. We'll put links to Nigel's interview and some of the other things we mentioned in the show notes. And do not forget to like and subscribe. We are headed up to a thousand subscribers, I think, aren't we, Landon? We're That's just pretty like exciting. Forty, I think, forty away. So yeah, it's amazing. I know most people don't think to subscribe, you know. So maybe you haven't thought about it. So if you're out there and you haven't thought about it. Hit that button. I, I don't know what happens at a thousand, but apparently something does. So <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And if you'd like to be married aware of episodes as they come out, you can hit that little notification button and, and you'll get a notification that an episode has released. So thank you, Nigel. And thank you, Landon. And we'll say goodbye from Mormonish for now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.